Welcome to a podcast on fire, and this time we bring you something from the archives. Not our archives, mind you, and there's not even a movie review during this episode and actually the next. Allow me to explain. Uh, over the course of the next two episodes, you'll essentially hear podcaster and radio host Tyler Miller interview me. Initially done for his show, uh, apologize to the podcast. In the end, life took over and uh, Mr. Miller also got a gig uh, hosting a radio show, which is available online as well. And it's called Trapped in the Screening Room. The link to that will be available in the show post. And Tyler was kind enough to let me dust off this uh, recording from summer 2016 and put it on the network here. So, And it's not here because i was great and you all need to hear it but because it was fun conversation highlighted by fine prep work by tyler so it's really about the fun two hours we had but also to highlight that tyler works his butt off uh, compiling uh, compiling interview notes and research notes and what have you so we'll get to it. Uh, but first of all, some very brief contact information. This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. And usually we, re- we review Hong Kong movies new and old on this show. But this time it's a conversation about, among other things, Hong Kong movies. Uh, but uh, you'll find it on that very site. We also have shows on Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, Sleazy cinema, Ninja cinema. We do bonus episodes and commentary every now and again. You can make uh, a choice over there on the right hand side of the site and thank you very very much for your support uh, whether you are a new listener or if you've been around for a while i love you all very very much for that support i don't say that enough but uh, there you are you are beloved and you are loved remember that yeah, my my motivational self is coming out here my positivity kind of self is coming out here anyway uh, that's the site that you can email us if you have any questions or feedback podcast on fire at googlemail.com click the handy buttons at the top of our website to reach our various social media such as facebook twitter you can click the itunes button to subscribe to our itunes feed and click the stitcher radio button to stream us over stitcher radio either on the site or we have the applications available on the apple app store or google play and as touched upon in the coming discussion i have a review site called sogoodreviews.com i review a variety of hong kong and taiwanese movies over there i also have a video hub called sleazykvideo.com and my tweets are available at so good reviews so in the first half of this chat we go down memory lane of uh, discovering hong kong cinema starting to write amateur reviews how the podcast happened and how the process of research and production goes goes down and what that structure is like as well as geek out on the likes of uh, john woo ringo lam and wong jing so this is the first half of uh, the chat between me and Tyler Miller. Hope you enjoy and we'll see you afterwards for some brief contact information again. So enjoy the convo and we'll see you afterwards. Okay, everybody, welcome to Apologize the Podcast. And we have another special episode where we're going to be interviewing uh, Ken from the Podcast on Fire Network, which is not one, but what, five, six different podcasts all connected on one website? I'm not too sure, actually. Seven or eight, I think. <laughs> Seven or eight, yeah, because there's also commentary on fire. And really, if you're into Asian cinema, it is the. The network to check out because they have a little bit of everything. I think at one point they'll probably even start doing 
you know, more stuff like Thailand if, if it comes up in the future. So I think they've got all the bases covered, and it is probably the definitive Asian cinema podcast, in my opinion. So hopefully, oh, thank you very much. So, um, so yeah, so how are you, how are you doing this evening, Ken? Um, excellent. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. If you hear me scream in the background, it's from the coffee. It's a little hot. And welcome back to the world of podcasting, buddy. After your unfortunate real life, uh, real life accident oh. and incident. So, oh yes, I, I got the cast on still. For for those who um, haven't checked the Facebook page, I had a slip and fall at work, and uh, I I am doing good. I'm on physical. Uh, you know, I've been doing physical therapy, and my recovery is doing good. So uh, the podcast will be a little more uh, proactive and prolific now, um, where I can do more episodes. Because editing with one hand is kind of difficult. <laughs> yeah, I admire that you even uh, tackle that. Uh, I'm, I'm such a pussy that I would rather just rehab 100% and then return to everything, despite uh, instincts uh, pulling me towards the editing deck, if you will. But uh, good on you for uh, trying it out, at least. Well, thank you. Yeah, I I, I just didn't want to really sit around, because after a couple weeks of sitting in bed watching movies, which can be fun, but... Uh, Mm-hmm. On pain meds, it's not quite the same. Though you can right tolerate a lot more garbage. Um, I'm looking at you, Firestorm. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, Andy Lau and his... I guess Andy Lau can do no wrong, man. Like, uh, like I'm looking forward to watching that movie whenever I can. <laughs> oh, it's it's hilarious. Um, before you go into it, just be uh, keep a little scorecard with you. Because towards the ending shootout, there's so many explosions that throws him back in the air... I think I counted 20 times it happens, because they destroy, like, a whole city block. Right on. And I guess you just cannot kill Andy Lau. He's the Energizer Bunny. Um, he's a cyborg. You know that, right? In real <laughs> he's life. A cyborg. thought everybody knew that. <laughs> man, if I had a face like Andy Lau, I'd be the happiest man of all time. Um, <laughs> so, kind of getting into things. So, let's kind of go into your um, origin story of where you got into Asian cinema. Uh, for folks who don't know... Ken is kind of the pretty much the main driving force behind Podcasts on Fire now. You're 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 usually the co-host of many of the shows, if not all mm-hmm. of them. And um, so you kind of cover a little bit of everything. So what got you started with Asian cinema? When did you first become interested? Well, I, I will never forget it because I owe a debt of gratitude to a Swedish both TV and uh, magazine critic. Uh, and I, I'm just sure he still does uh, does it to this day. I've, I've stopped following for some reason. But his name was Gunnar Elin. And I saw, not on TV, but a little like blurb in one of the evening newspapers back when you still bought newspapers, kids. Mm-hmm. That's what we did. Uh, and he just wrote a little blurb about there's the, these amazing movies by John Woo playing on these local satellite TV channels, the pay channels. And um, so they had a little festival going on. And I took that to heart because uh, I, I was sold on that. And I, we had those channels and obviously I had a VCR. I taped a lot of stuff, you know, uh, mm-hmm. tons of tapes of like five movies on each uh, tape on long play and things like that. Just taped the crap out of everything I could get my hands on. And what was looming and what I eventually saw was five movies um, uh, in this order. I think it was Bullet in the Head, The Killer, um, uh, Once a Thief and Hard Boiled. Uh, so uh, 
And Bullet in the Head, John Woo's movie, was the first one I saw. I, I know I've seen Enter the Dragon at some point earlier in my life, but for some reason, all it never made an impact on me. Not saying it's good or bad, it just sort of, um, I wasn't receptive to it at that time. So John Woo was my entry gate, gateway into this uh, madness. And, uh, you know, a normal human being should be really destroyed after watching a movie like Bullet in the Head because mm-hmm. it's uh, a draining experience. It's a big action movie, yeah, but it's uh, it's coming from a place of anger if you read... Uh, John talking about it, then you read the behind the scenes stories of the bullet to the head. I mean, main source of anger being the Tiananmen Square massacre. It's yeah. uh, sort of heavily referenced in the movie. But uh, I, I was just blown away, man, because I didn't know that action cinema could be this intensely character and drama driven because it is a very heart wrenching movie. Uh, you've seen it at one point, Tyler? Oh, yeah. I have a. Um... I have a copy of the Hong Kong disc. I don't know which company, but it has mm-hmm. the alternate ending at the very end, which which I guess for you, did you see the car chase ending or the, oh, the more yeah, dramatic yeah. one? Yeah, the, the car chase ending. Um, yeah. What's on my uh, what's on my uh, version that I uh, watched on TV. Uh, but but it really it's it just blew me away that this mixture could exist and uh, I I sort of uh, I, I saw the rest of those movies I, I taped I still probably still have that tape somewhere mm-hmm. uh, but I, I own the movies on various formats uh, other formats now but I think I, I did, did, this is surely like ninety four or ninety five so it's pre DVD and so I didn't okay. jump into like buying imported Hong Kong VHS or anything like that I I was still living at home. So, uh, so someone had to pay for my for my habit, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but uh, I I didn't go nuts or anything. I didn't write the Christmas list of like I want these ten movies. I I, I think I bought myself partly and then then put on my wish list uh, a movie or two from the UK company made in Hong Kong who put out yes. these uh, quite beautiful looking widescreen versions of films and with great subtitles and what have you. Mm-hmm. So it was like sporadic collect collecting then i put it down for a for a while for no other reason than i probably ran out and as sort of just uh, focused on i suppose you know for lack of a better word western cinema for a while but then dvd hit big time and i realized that if you buy uh, stuff from hong kong you can buy it at that point at the end of um, end of 90s early 2000s very very cheap okay their standard prices in hong kong dollars at the time were like 40 Hong Kong dollars, which is nothing. Yeah. And so you can just buy it in bulk. And then I started to explore, you know, more than just action, obviously, the comedy, drama, kung fu, mm-hmm. exploitation. I mean, I, I, I do it all essentially, uh, except these. Um, the, the, the only thing I probably can't relate to as much is probably these um, grand period war epics. And that's why yeah. I probably stayed away from a movie like Red Cliff by John Woo. Not saying it's bad, but it's just not really my kind of movie. It's a hard sort of in for me to sit down with it because it's, uh, it's you know, you can't relate to everything. That's the mm. key point. And uh, uh, so, so I'm not like, John Woo was only good in the 90s. I'm, I'm, I'm not no. of, that, uh, <laughs> of that attitude. It's just one of those things like, it just doesn't appeal to me. I love John, but uh, and, and that's fair enough. So it's not slagging it off at all. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've uh, found it again and uh, been exploring every nook and cranny of uh, Asian, Hong Kong and Taiwan primarily ever okay. since. Very nice. Um, I guess for the war movies, it's just they're a little too steep, a little too too big in scope is probably part of the problem. 
Uh, yeah, maybe I'm 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 afraid that it's a history lesson I need to know or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but you know, it's my problem. I think that I I, I think there's something there that's probably easily approachable. So mm-hmm. so yeah, people educate me. Is Redcliffe just easy to sit down with and uh, yeah. just enjoy, or is it does it require a little bit of Wikipedia Wikipedia reading of yeah. uh, that particular dynasty or whatever? Well, it might be like an old Shaw Brothers movie where it kind of gives you a text scrawl at the beginning and kind of informs you on all the characters. Um, mm-hmm. Well, from my understanding, at least Red Cliff is better than the, the Crossing movies. Yeah, I heard the first Crossing was not that successful, and I've not. I, I've heard. I, I'm not sure the Crossing Two was finished, but I heard something that Choi Hark was brought on board to sort of help edit it and things like that. Oh, so no. it 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 seemed like it wasn't smooth uh, coming out of uh, coming out of the gate, and uh, yeah. there was some problems with it, which doesn't necessarily spell like success for. Um, for 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 a movie, I'm amazed sometimes where that problematic productions turn out so well. Mm-hmm. And if you look like an example in the West of someone who, all not almost always, but a good five or six, well, let's say three or four movies out of his filmography, all came with production problems. And I'm looking at you, Terry Gilliam, yeah, because Terry Gilliam has had some messed up productions to deal oh, with, and yet. My. Brazil came out wonderfully, one of my favorite movies. Yet, Baron the Adventures of Baron von Munchausen came out mm-hmm. wonderfully, and that was also problematic to a degree. Uh, I know Twelve Monkeys, I think, uh, to a degree, was also a little bit problematic, and that was pretty good. So. I think that was budget problems for Twelve Monkeys. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, he had very big stars in that movie, with, you know, like with Bruce yeah. Willis, and I'm sure that was the towards the end of him really being enthusiastic about the blockbusters he was in. <laughs> yeah, Before, probably so. Before he started sleepwalking through movies, I'm looking at mm-hmm. You Good Day to Die Hard, which is one of the worst action sequels <laughs> that have came out yeah. in the last 20 years. Yeah, I never. Uh, is that the last one they made? Right, yes. the fifth. Right, I, I never saw that. I liked the previous one, okay, but uh, not something I'll, um, oh. I'll, I even own. I saw it on, uh, saw it on a rental. <laughs> yeah, you're not missing out on anything. You could probably skip it, and if they release a sixth one, just pretend it's the fifth one, and you'll be okay. <laughs> right <laughs> on. Know? Um. So uh, I guess uh, moving on. So um, of course you, aside from podcast and fire, you have a, a website called So Good Reviews. Can you tell us the origin story behind uh, your website? Well, to preface it, I don't like the name, but I'll stand by it mm. <laughs> because, well, because was... it's, uh, it, it's like seventy, well, fifteen years ago now. So you you gotta stand by your decision. But I think it's such a corny name. But the origin story is really, as any creator would know and 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 that sounded really highfalutin i'm not like this big creator or anything but mm. per definition what you do and what i do and many others do they're they're creators they're uh, executing creativity so i felt the need to express myself watching movies i needed to put these thoughts in my head on paper in some shape or form whether they were structured coherent views or not and uh, I decided to do it, uh, do it online. Build this very basic website. It's still basic. i because I, I don't know about this stuff. How to build websites? Mm-hmm. So I keep it basic. And the so I wanted to write. I wanted to write about what appealed to me, uh, whether big movies, you know, like a Police Story Three, which I remember reviewing, uh, you know, fairly early on. And uh, but but any movie that appealed to me that I also wanted to have a voice, uh, you know, small yeah. movie or big big movie. And the origin story is that, and the name comes from 
it's um it's a it's from a Hong Kong movie, but a line said in English by one of the Hong Kong cast in that movie. And in uh, 2001, there was a comedy called La Brasiere, mm-hmm. starring yeah. uh, La Ching Wan and Louis Ku, where they were two guys brought in to sort of help out this bra company, mm-hmm. you know, so the dream, the dream job of working with <laughs> beautiful women and bras and what have you. It was not a lewd comedy or anything. It's, it's actually quite funny. And uh, at a few points in the movie, uh, La Ching Wan, says uh, you know so good so good and lewis ku replied i know in in english so they're, they're having a little banter back and forth and i just sort of well that's a good enough name i guess let's go with that yeah. like because i'm not very creative uh, so but but i think it's I, I, it's it's fine i guess but it's sort of you wish sometimes you had something more sexier than so good because it also sounds like i believe this is the level i work at yeah. <laughs> it is not the case like I'm very humble like I, I can always do better but uh, I guess they're okay they're okay reviews so okay reviews yeah. doesn't roll off the tongue as easily though one thing I admire about the site is um, it's it's both frustrating and um, enlightening is your coverage of the early John Woo movies before um, Heroes Shed No Tears or uh, mm-hmm. or no no is that the name of it the yeah yeah it's a movie made before Better Tomorrow that they released mm-hmm. after Better Tomorrow became a hit yeah, but your your coverage of his early martial arts films and then his comedy films, it's frustrating mm-hmm. because the reviews make me actually want to go track those movies down, but they are so long out of print. They're almost yeah. impossible to find. <laughs> uh, welcome to the wonderful world of uh, collecting Hong Kong movies on DVD. Um, rights pass through companies. I mean, th- this whole archive really originates with Star, and they sort of then license their property to, you know, they had Megastar, they had... Uh, Joy Sales, they had the Delta Mac, uh, but so they they pass these rights, but some at some point they do this, they just stop or they are out of print during a period, and also the interest to bring out tons of these vintage catalog titles in Hong Kong, I think, is sort of being reduced ever so slightly mm-hmm. uh, as the years go by. So, um, so 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 yeah, it, it is sad that uh, much of it isn't up there, and it's not easy to sort of collect everything on one big streaming site either. Um, because uh, of different companies owning movies. I mean, the Star stuff, it's sort of, they, they, they keep so many movies in the library, granted, but they've not done any sort of big outpouring of digital rentals up on local iTunes or anything like that. So, yeah. And, and you'd wish, I mean, you'd wish to have something as wonderful as the Korean film archive that has their oh, own yeah. uh, YouTube channel with uh, tons of subtitled movies, but you, you can't really uh, compare what's going on in Korea just because it's. Um, uh, versus Hong Kong just because it's Asia but you, you'd wish that even movies like Plain Jane to Rescue by John oh, Woo yes. and The Money Crazy and things like that would get would be easily accessible and you know at, at one point you have to sort of say well if all else fails like there's tons of that stuff on YouTube man and uh, True. And, the, and the funny thing is like I, I have a little YouTube channel and I've been the victim of sort of like um, strikes and blocks and what have you for my reviews, right? I'm not putting out the full movies. Yet, at the same time, someone is uploading a crap ton of full movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're going off the, the likes of creators, you know, yeah. creators of content. Like, well, where's, the, where's the fair deal in that? Oh, but, yeah. Uh, Especially, um, almost, um, this is kind of deviating a little bit, but, um, you know, especially with, with Taiwan North, a lot of those movies are now available on YouTube. Like, I remember Ghost Hill was on there. And that's how mm-hmm. I saw the movie was, you know, on YouTube. 
and it just it kind of makes you wish like i wish they were being repressed but i can i can understand yeah hong kong companies going look there's a very small niche audience for these early john woo movies i really don't think we're going to release a blu-ray of playing jane to the rescue i don't really see it you know and yet you'd think there would be a commercial pull because uh, of uh, stars like josephine chow yeah who's still you know her she isn't disliked or anything she's very known a very liked star so you, you'd wish there would be some kind of um re-release retrospective that would lead to disc releases i mean in taiwan it's even more abysmal really to to find um, an audience that are willing to pay for for disc releases of the likes of ghost hill it was out there and it was uh looked good but the, that dvd is uh, is no more uh, you know sp- speaking of taiwan they, if uh, in uh, if people keep a keen eye on us itunes there are actually come there's actually a fair amount of Taiwanese remastered movies being put up on US iTunes from from a specific company in Taiwan that have remastered these uh, war epics and okay. uh, things like that. So uh, they're, they're doing... I think that's a better idea, isn't it? If you can't afford a disc release, surely... And I'm being naive here, possibly. Surely a digital release would be more cost-effective, oh, right? Yeah. So um, and, and also, it's not on Taiwan iTunes. It's US iTunes, so like search for Bridget Lin or type in uh, her Chinese name or whatever, and you'll get some hits there on the US iTunes. Okay. See, I wasn't even privy into that. Um, so I'll definitely have to check those out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what's good about So Good Reviews is you kind of cover a lot of different genres of films, a, a big variety. Um, and, and also you have the capsule reviews, which, I mean, <laughs> it's it's pretty breathtaking when you look at your back catalog of just how many movies you've covered on that site. I never go outside, Tyler. That's the key. <laughs> well, you were lucky then, because it is scary outside. You get I sunburn. Know. It <laughs> bites. Outside has teeth. I've seen it now. Just kidding. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I like doing this stuff. It's it's uh, oh, yeah. plain and simple. So. Okay. Well, I guess going off that, from you know branching off from that, what actually led you into the magical world of podcasting, which is a very unique... Uh, unique way to express yourself in my opinion very unique and very uh, freeing and um, and still free uh, mm-hmm. way of expression no one is monetizing this so you don't need a uh, permission to uh, to speak uh, you know you can put it up you you can put up uh, all or probably any view even reprehensible views get put up on on, on itunes to be downloaded <laughs> you know uh, god forbid there's any reprehensible views type of podcast you know hate podcast or whatever but uh, it, it is magical and it's very uh, freeing and uh, well the way i got into it because i i felt old back then i'm certainly old right now and i don't catch up with what's hot and new very quickly so i wasn't very aware of what a podcast was and uh, but my uh, uh former not uh in a bad way or anything uh, but my former podcast and creator of really podcast on fire and the network uh, Stuart Stuart Sutherland yes uh, my Scottish friend, he he knew about this stuff. You know, he, he's he's clued into this stuff, and he wanted an Asian cinema podcast out there. There there was uh, one or two that produced a couple of episodes, but never kept kept it going. So it was he really that um, started it and uh, tried to, and certainly did set a tone for it. It's sort of an interview format first, uh, but then you know, movie reviews started trickling in, and he invited me since we were friends on on uh, the then Dragon's Den UK message forum now, forestfilms.com uh, or .co.uk. So he invited me on to the second episode to just to chat akin to 
what you and I are doing now. And I uh-huh. sort of sort of like a leech. I stayed on. And because, <laughs> you know, we got on and it was fun to do like weekly and to start to explore what the format has to offer. What can we bring to the table? And mm-hmm. uh, obviously the first 20, 30, 40, even 50 episodes there, there's not a lack of direction, but we're trying to find like a set direction. But that all takes time. And I'm not sure we're done even. Like you gave me an idea, like, tie on fire <laughs> we got a new show <laughs> so yeah, yeah. curry on fire so yeah, i mean maybe maybe I'm, I'm done creating shows or maybe not so there it's always it's, it's always about what do i want to hear myself because uh, I, I like the content we put out because it sort of amuses me and sort of pleases me that something movies content directors actors they get a voice even if a tiny tiny one uh, in in the case of our podcast but uh uh, but yeah, we, we all followed our instincts in terms of what we wanted to hear. So I'm not the creator of all of the shows, far from it. Like the Japan on Fire one was conjured up uh, during off-air chat between Stuart, then uh, for, uh, co-host Mike Banner. Mm-hmm. We sort of just started talking, why don't we cover Japanese movies? Like, And that was the, you know, the, the conception of Japan on Fire. So you, hats off to Stuart for even introducing me to what the podcast is. I mean, maybe in 2016, I would probably still not know because I, it, I I'm, I'm so slow, Tyler. I'm really, really slow. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that, that's uh, we were a trio at that point, and I certainly credit those two guys for inspiring me to sort of, sort of create myself. To I was merely sitting in, not doing any work, really, not doing any research, really, and uh, slowly but surely I did. And as you said, now I sort of uh, do the main bulk of the research but with uh, help from all the co-hosts as well so i guess moving to the next question well that's that's cool and they're still they're still doing uh podcasts right uh stewart's doing uh films and swearing or is that someone else who's doing films? uh yes sir that's him they're his him and his uh, scottish friend they do it uh, live in person uh, talking to each other so uh, mm-hmm. uh that's a that's a cool cool privilege that he has to be talking with a buddy about the things he likes and they, they have a rapport obviously which may never makes that boring either so i think it's joyous work yeah for for both of them to just oh, uh, sit yeah. and shoot and shoot the shit essentially oh yeah and, and talk about all sorts of crazy stuff and do coverage mm-hmm. of the rocky movies so um going to the next one okay so we've kind of started talking about podcast and fire um and of course like i said in the introduction you cover a wide range of asian cinema when putting these shows together, which is really the hardest one for you? Like getting the research, getting the people together, or are they all pretty much the same with difficulty sometimes? I'm not going to say any show is easy because it always requires a lot of energy out of you. But if we're being honest, being that Hong Kong is my main passion, there's some stuff lodged in a memory bank. So you can sort of riff on on you know directors and things like that. Not entire biographies, but th- there are some pre-stored knowledge there so really the most difficult ones to put together but they are my favorite shows to put together and produce they're, they're japan on fire and what's korean cinema okay because they're all not all but mostly they are new experiences that i i pick and my co-hosts uh, help pick as well mm-hmm. you know in the case of japan on fire s- certainly doing our mamoru oshi series the director of ghost in the shell and so forth that came from me, but I, I I haven't seen all of his movies, and I haven't really went into his biography and his arc as a mm-hmm. filmmaker. So it, it it most of it is new, and I, I really focus on trying to get it right. At least I mean I do rely on on online 
online research, you know, I, I do rely on the likes of Wikipedia, and and it it seems legit because yeah. I'm, I've I've never encountered in my Wikipedia research, you know, talking about a director, and then in 2008 he ate a big big pile of poo, you know. <laughs> so hmm, I don't think that I don't think that influence correct. No, I've never really no, s- seen no. something that seems like really that seems a bit it is not true that they're making rush hour four with kevin smith and jackie chan it's not happening (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah it's the blessing of having information at your fingertips um but uh, i i really enjoy putting you know those together because i don't know it's they turn out well to my ears you know being the editor as well and I, i like that you know, as with anything, I'll probably say this a million times that I like the type of content we put together because I'm I like listening to it myself. I'm a fan of it myself, not of my me, 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 and all that I do. But the fact that we got this content and up on online within a show, and same applies to what's Korean cinema. Which, what's really it started out as a immature joke on my behalf, which is not uncommon. Common to to stumble <laughs> stumble across immaturity. On my behalf, but we were doing uh, probably a podcast on fire and just talking about a different, like last movies watched. We probably did, and one of the co-hosts said that he watched a particular Korean movie, and um, he asked me, "Have you seen that movie?" And out of the blue, I've never even thought of this phrase, but out of the blue, just to be uh, essentially a bit of a smarty pants, uh-huh. I, I said, "Korean cinema? What's Korean cinema?" And um, you and know. Boom. Felt proud of myself for like a second, just. But but I made up for that uh, poor joke because Stu, I, I believe, really Stu headed that creation as well and attached to the name. What's Korean cinema? Because mm-hmm. we we really by now anyway try to uncover something old and something new. Uh, and as with anything, we try to provide context, info, and hopefully a decent amount of fun as we discuss some movies and. I, I do enjoy putting those together, despite being the hardest works to start. The the, the research always uh, takes a little bit of a. I guess you know this, Tyler. Sometimes it all is a matter of sitting down and starting your damn work. Yeah. But you uh, but you put it off. You put it off, and when you finally sit down, then it works. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, then the production starts like piling up. But it's a matter of sitting down and starting it. And I always sort of fear a little bit those shows, but I know. They're gonna turn out all right, and 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 they really all they they all mm-hmm. they always have, and they they're also coupled with new experiences, as I said. So for me, maybe one show is completely new movies for me, or one show is like one sh- pick from me, and one pick by, for instance, Paul Quinn, who I do what's Korean cinema with, mm-hmm. and w- one pick is his, uh, like from the Korean film archive, uh, an old black and white classic or old uh, 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. 80s movie or whatever. So I, I enjoy that. So uh, like Podcast on Fire, more the stuff is more in my wheelhouse. I've seen most of it, but what's Korean cinema and Japan on Fire, they, they take me new places, and I think that's feeling is something i attach to that's why i like producing uh those they're not weekly by any stretch of the imagination but there's doing them sporadically it's uh it's still it's still very very rewarding and i hope that comes across to whoever listens to those oh. like niche shows because if you really break it down podcast on fire despite we don't have a, a big audience at all but that is the main show i think people tune into because the choices are recognizable like look at look at the rumbling in the bronx is reviewed mm-hmm. this week or or whatever and better tomorrow and japan on fire and what's korean cinema it's a little bit more under the radar it's not necessarily the latest out of japan or the latest out of korea but 
they're known enough. Some of the new movies. I mean, um, yeah. we're we're recording a, an episode of Korea's uh, Memories of Murder soon, Ooh, which is a classic good. movie, but it's yeah. sort of been drowned out in the wake of uh, the director's movie, The Host, and things like that. So yeah. uh, not not a lot of people, I think, references Memories of Murder anymore, but mm-hmm. or or as much, but. Uh, and it's not really our task here to make it known again, but uh, I enjoy um, tapping into uh, tapping into what's uh, what's new for me. Memories of Murder I've seen once, but it was a long, long, long time ago, so it, it's going to be an almost new experience for me, and I'm looking forward to. It. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of one of the most rewarding things is you get to kind of educate yourself and discover films that if you weren't really having a, a purpose for discovering them, like doing the show. You know, you can kind of experience more and get more in, you know, especially mm-hmm. in Korean movies. Like, oh, well, now I have a show dedicated to Korean movies. So this gives me a chance to branch out more and yes. have a real reason and a purpose to check those out. And you get to discover, you know, new favorites. Yeah, it's not um, like work. Doing something for work is not uh, without its you know pleasures and it's relaxing mm-hmm. in a way like you appreciate the movie so 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 yes indeed sometimes by lining it up for work i get the viewing done that i've maybe thought of uh, so, so, uh, so it, it gets me picking up the disc and it gets me watching it and combining it with work is still pleasurable in terms of the viewing experience so mm-hmm. maybe even better maybe you focus more on it uh, rather yeah. than when you, when you sit there like late at night and and half half watch it as you fall asleep. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> as you got your little, do you, do you like keep a little notepad with you and kind of write down stuff for the show, or you just keep it in your head? Uh, I used to, but I, but I do notes now. Not on a notepad, uh, mind you, but uh, I I do um, I do notes on my laptop as I watch uh, because okay. uh, it really becomes my show script in a way. But uh, obviously, it's not read out verbatim. But uh, it's it's sort of a streamlined version of how my review is going to be structured that's mm-hmm. based on uh, the beginning point and end point of my notes. So, so I don't like juggle, juggle them around as such as I compile my notes. It's, uh, it's pretty streamlined. So if you were to watch something I wrote for the show and then listen to the show, you realize that that's sort of the script that he okay. went by. But, uh, but he didn't, you know, like, I don't mind if someone reads their views to me as long as it's like structured info and solid info. But uh, I think um, as you, well, no, there's a sort of a, a little bit of an art, and every, everyone can do it as long as uh, they, they uh, enjoy the world of podcasting. But everyone can sort of tune their delivery and their voices as yeah. they as they produce, like continually. And I think that's the key sometimes to keep at it, and then you develop into um, I don't know what the end game is necessarily. I don't have an end game, but uh, you you gain comfort, I think, because we all. I think hate the sound of our own voices and we all sort of sometimes think like well I have nothing to bring to the table who would want to listen to me and that's absolute horseshit because everyone has a voice everyone's voice is so unique I don't care if you're the 900 million review of you know to to make it uh, to make it topical even um even though no one really seems to like the movie but to make it topical even if you review Ghostbusters tomorrow the yep. reboot Mm-hmm. There, your voice matters. Your view matters, unless you're a really shitty person, uh, like some of those reviewers are. <laughs> but, but, but uh, you know, it's uh, some of them are a little bit ir- irrational. Let's just say yeah. that. But, but uh, mind, mind you, you know, if you take anything away, like, and I don't, I'm not a wealth of knowledge or an inspiration or anything. But always remember, listeners, your voice is unique. Like your voice is totally unique, Tyler. So don't uh, skip on a movie that you want to review just because you know it as 
tons of other podcasts that have done yeah. that review as well. So never ever back down from that instinct yes. of, uh, of re- reviewing something. Yes, I'm going to work on Infernal Affairs now. Now for this next session, uh, Ken, uh, this is kind of a weird quirk I do with, with interviews. I kind of do like the quick fire uh, questions. But um, I wanted to get what, your thoughts. What do I win, Tyler? You win another copy of uh, Taking a Tiger Mountain. Sweet. Sweetness. It'll be on Blu-ray, too. Um, wow. Are you are you region-free with uh, with Blu-ray? Yes, I am. Oh. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> You're like, you can get a U.S. Blu-ray of this movie. Or, or I'll send something worse. Anyway, but um, so I was going to get your opinions on some of... Not necessarily the most recent, actually... A few of these directors are still working, obviously, but this is just more of to a someone coming into Hong Kong cinema for the first time. These are kind of the big names they can hear, especially if they dig in a little deeper. So, I mean, yes, you know, I didn't put Johnny Toe on here because I really don't know much about Johnny Toe. I've only seen Drug War, Police Tactical Unit, and... um, full-time killer which full-time killer doesn't really count because that movie's kind of sloppy but um. it's uh, it was awful back then I, I don't think i've grown to like that movie all the time it's a bit self-indulgent but uh oh, definitely oh no i was gonna say if you think tarantino's self-indulgent watch full-time killer it's not yeah as yes indeed <laughs> to blame um, his co- co-director on that well uh, that too uh why can't i uh so uh, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a shared joint and for full-time killer but uh Nonetheless, I like Johnny Toe in general anyway. So. Mm-hmm. I'm still discovering his work, but yeah, Police Tactical Unit or, uh, you know, PTU, it, uh, I, I got that DVD relatively cheap at a uh, used DVD store here in uh, Denver, and I thought nothing of it. I'm like, okay, it's $2, and it's Hong Kong cinema, might as well get it, and uh, it, it blew me away. I was surprised mm-hmm. by how subtle the movie was. Yeah. Um, so quiet, um, quiet movie yeah, on many oh, levels. Yes, and I laughed so hard at the. Um, have you seen the movie semi recently, or do you remember it pretty well? Uh, well, depends on what you're going to reference, but uh, I've um, s- some images stick in my mind. I remember the tattoo gag was very funny. The guy who rubs off his tattoo, yeah, <laughs> rubbing his his uh, his uh, right there on the neck. Um, there's there's a moment at the beginning when um, they're at the restaurant. And they keep messing with their phones right oh, yeah, before yeah, uh, the guy yeah. gets stabbed in the back. That made me laugh Love. so hard because I kept Love looking at the that. <laughs> it's but, very fun, yeah, but then it ends with an assassination indeed. So um, I was going to ask you about some of the more popular Hong Kong filmmakers that um, probably are fairly mainstream. Some of them are a little iffy, but if you're getting into Hong Kong cinema, these are kind of the big names. Uh, we've kind of touched on John Woo already, but what's more of your thoughts on the Woo I mean, John is, for me, is essentially if you want to explore that type of action cinema that's now been, you know, obviously done to death and parodied to, uh, you know, to extreme degrees, uh, even by John himself. I mean, I liked Mission Impossible 2 at the time when I rewatched it later. It's such, it's one of those movies that feels like, can you do what you did in those movies and make me look cool? Yeah, like it's more of a movie for its star more than a furthering of John Woo. But uh, so it feels a little bit like, I guess I'll do my thing, and here's the doves and crap, yeah. and I guess that's the movie, all right. I mean, it's I, it's entertaining enough, I guess, but it's not a movie that has grown on me. But, but you know, if you're in, if you want to pursue that, and, and mind you, John has done multiple genres, but obviously his genres, but obviously he's connected to 
the heroic bloodshed as uh, it was dubbed back in the day by Rick Baker, I believe. Uh, Eastern Heroes, Rick Baker dubbed this type of action of a two-gun two action, the slow-mo and, uh, and uh, Tales of Brotherhood and all of that. He dubbed that heroic bloodshed. And he, he is essentially, if you want to see someone really make a genre and type of movie and type of style within a movie just explode mm-hmm. with you know with a better tomorrow you had john himself elevating his voice but you had other filmmakers doing it as well some filmmakers not doing it well at all they're just trying to catch the wave and mm-hmm. for me it's essential because it's what i grew up with it's what i uh, not grew up with uh, what i explored first rather and um, i i enjoy it immensely to this day like if you go back to john's best movies you realize that even through all the parodies and all the, you know, all the shootouts that you've seen subsequently by other filmmakers and John, the good stuff is still good. And the good yes. stuff is even great. Mm-hmm. So uh, John is essential to me, even though I've not seen, you know, what? the last movie he directed, at least in, in China or Hong Kong, um, it's yeah, like, like I've not seen anything since he sort of returned. You know, as I said, I've not seen Red Clip. I've seen a couple of the American movies. And the last one I saw, I've seen, maybe that was the last one he made, uh, Paycheck. Yeah. Which wasn't very memorable. I mean, it's yeah. kind of came and went and that was it. I mean, I still stand by that face office. It's greatest American movie. It's oh, definitely. That shit crazy. And it makes me weep because I think it's such a... Like, I'm going to do drama and I'm going to mean it <laughs> in a movie where a guy switches faces around, you know. And yeah, I think Nick. it's such a beautiful movie. Like, Nick Cage is absolutely crazy in that movie. But watch some of the underplaying that he does in that movie. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful, man. And, like, when Somewhere he... Um, Over the Rainbow has never sounded better in a movie. Sorry, but it, it does sound it, better in Face Off. It does indeed, and uh, and I love those moments. I can talk about Face Off forever, and I have already on a podcast. But mm-hmm. see, Check remember it out, this? Folks. It's good. It's very good. It was very good. The movie and the podcast was all right. The moment where Nick Cage, but them playing John Travolta's character as they've switched their faces around, he sees uh, Gina Gershon's son, and he's mm-hmm. reminded of his own son that dies at the beginning of the movie. That you no know, scene one, people. So it's not a spoiler, mm-hmm. and he gets reminded of that and he thinks it's his son and uh, those moments are just pitch perfect but one my favorite moment within that scene is when cage puts on a shirt and it's obviously not his shirt it's the bad guy's lair and his clothes so he says these are nice shirts well they're yours yeah i i just like you know and and he doesn't go like yeah i like the shirt yeah you know, and go you know so john really did a beautiful number on face off so i think you know john is essential for for me and uh, i still love returning to even some of his lesser movies i saw just heroes recently mm-hmm. the, talk about a parody of some of his work <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's a charity movie so I'll, I'll give it uh, i'll forgive yeah. some of its uh, weaker aspects but uh, it's uh, action wise it's just uh, oh. it's nostalgia for me man it, and it's so fucking violent as well it's so blood oh, goes on God. the camera yeah. and uh, those scripts are big man and oh, just yeah. heroes is such a blast oh, but then danny lee jumping down and like hanging on to the chandelier while uh shooting oh my god so it's a uh, all good fun to watch some of his lesser work but uh but uh, steven John... chow though he i was expecting him to be his usual steven chowness and i nope. uh, got a different performance out of him in that movie <laughs> he doesn't put out his tongue or anything like he did in subsequent <laughs> movies i mean yeah i mean this is pre-comedy stardom for stephen chow's so he's playing it uh, a straight role a serious role but it looks uh, jarring uh to go back to it now but uh he's, he's still a decent actor in it so. 
Oh, yeah. I, it was just funny because I was thinking, well, Stephen Chow's in this movie, so maybe this is going to be like Once a Thief where it's a comedy with action in it, and it wasn't nope. at all. <laughs> well, moving on to another famous um, actor because of his um, association with uh, Chai and Fat. You know, I kind of connect a lot of these filmmakers with if they've worked with Chai and Fat or not, but because um, he's Everybody my favorite. <laughs> My my favorite Hong Kong actor of all time. But um, the next director who, you know, kind of made a splash because one of his movies, um, you know, kind of was known by the mainstream public for a did they or did they not plagiarism case with Reservoir Dogs, but Ringo Lamb's City on Fire. So he's kind of known for that reason. And like Wu, he's also known in America for making a American debut with also Jean-Claude Van Damme because Wu did. Um, hard target and Ringo Lamb did a, a bunch of movies with Jean-Claude as well I have to say I, I really love Ringo and I have to say if people should maybe the initial movies uh, the initial movie with uh, Jean-Claude Maximum Risk I don't remember much from that what's some of the latter stuff because oh, yeah. that's that's I love Replicant I love the prison movie uh, in, in hell, hell. Mm-hmm. yeah because he thought okay let's um, let, let's make Jean-Claude underplay mm-hmm. and that's just amazing so like as, as soon as they got away from the mainstream and got a bit more freedom working with lower budget but more freedom mm-hmm. and oh, those movies were kind of kind of good oh, <laughs> actually yeah. but uh, I, I i love ring i mean he he is this sort of if you want this sort of antidote to john woo's over the top nature to melodrama and action you know acrobatic action watch a ringo lamb movie watch city on fire it's not pleasant Mm-hmm. I mean, his uh, his movies were violent. They were gritty and they were, vi- were, were violent. They were ugly. And some of them were really angry, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, School on Fire, which is, uh, you know, about essentially how triad influence reaches schools. And mm-hmm. it's it's an ugly movie. It's an angry-ass movie. And uh, so I, I really like that uh, that we have that voice that mm-hmm. also could direct Chai, in fact. You know what I mean? So you didn't just have the gun-toting you know, two-gun hero in John Woo's movies, you had this versatility in other directors that directed Chai and Fat, and subsequently Chai and Fat is versatile as well. Chai and Fat obviously does drama and comedy really well too, so, I mean, he could do anything, that guy. So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, my, my favorite Hong Kong movie is not even, you know, or rather favorite Chai and Fat movie, and probably favorite Hong Kong movie, is not even, you know, action-tinted at all. I mean, my favorite Hong Kong movie is An Autumn's Tale. Mm-hmm. With Chai Fat, which is just just a perfect romance, really, with uh, Chai Fat and Cherry Chung on the streets of New York, having a very you know common romantic story, but it's absolutely beautiful. And that's that's Chai Fat to me. That's a, he's a superstar when when in that zone, and uh, mm-hmm. so he doesn't need to do these violent movies. But uh, he is certainly excellent in them. And uh, working with Ringo, I mean, they were good friends. Uh, they, they even came up in. Um, the TV, uh, one of the TV training schools together as actors, but Ringo pursued directing uh, when all was said and done. So um, we could have seen an actor emerge in Ringo, but uh, ultimately he set his path on directing. But uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, even, um, I wouldn't say the kookier stuff, but uh, some of the more over-the-top stuff like uh, Full Contact and yeah. Burning, Burning Paradise. Like when Ringo switched tack a little bit to two over-the-top top movies and certainly other genres and um, he did very well like, like shit even movies like victim yes. is part a very spooky movie possibly it's this sort of is it is it not it's a possession movie or is it not the possession movie Co- coupled with this uh, cops and robbers story so uh, i think when ringo returned from hollywood 
if you uh, if you studied that, Tyler. I mean, uh, I think he returned with Full Alert. So, whoa, he still knows how to make good movies. Oh, and then yeah. I haven't uh, seen it, Full Alert, but um, I did oh, see. Oh, it's awesome! Awesome. Did was the um, I didn't see the suspect either, but um, I did see Wild City that he made a couple years ago, and that one's actually pretty good with a uh, Louis Koo. Yeah, yeah, I I haven't pursued it yet because we're planning to do a Ringo Lamb series on the network, so uh, we'll we'll get we'll get to that eventually. Indeed, yes, indeed. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think full I think full contact is probably the closest he gets to you know almost John Woo with the uh, the crazy action scenes. Um, you know, getting uh, well, it's still very violent. Like you know, Chow loses his fingers and he has to train himself with prosthetic fingers. But uh, yeah. Well, well, it's a in a way, it's not John Woo on another level because every character is reprehensible, really. In that movie, yeah. like, there's no real heroics oh, going on just, here. I love how cartoonish Simon Yam is in a full yep. contact, where he's just like, "Hello, giant fat." Like, I wonder sometimes uh, if I go back to that movie, I'm, but my memory is because Hong Kong movies they are not done the depiction of homosexuality in 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 any way polit- politically correct mm-hmm. right because it's uh it's just too easy to make uh, a mockery and comedy out of such uh, such a character but i remember simon yam sort of it struck a balance between not camp he wasn't uh, comedic but it, it's it's that sort of danger combined with how he uh you know how he uh, what the depiction was in that movie so i think simon yam's portrayal even though it's a popcorn movie and all of that it's, it's entertainment i don't think it's going to turn out to be offensive like 20 years down the line uh, oh, no. you know what i mean like it, it for once it seems like hong kong did it not right but not offensive yeah. for once. i think um and this might be a theory that just sounds like i completely pulled it on my ass but i think what's cool about his character in that movie is yes it's it's still pretty stereotypical and uh it's a gay character who's a villain which is unfortunately a lot of the only representation of gay characters in films. But um, what I th- what I like about his performance in the movie, and it's been two years since I've watched it, so maybe I'm kind of sugarcoating it, but um, he's he's very dangerous and vicious in the movie, but, but he's kind of unassuming because since he's kind of playing this gay character, it seems like he's almost kind of sort of feminine, so you don't really take him seriously at first, and then when he does something extreme, it's yeah. kind of more shocking, you know? So it's almost used as a way to throw the audience off by having him be gay and of course it's also funny to see him kind of flirt with chai and fat and he's just like yeah. you're the villain go away <laughs> with, with the immortal like uh, and uh finale line you know uh, masturbate masturbate in hell or jack off in hell, jack off uh, in hell. <laughs> which is uh well that's the kind of movie people we're dealing with here but uh, it, it's a good it's a good fun one it's i'm looking forward to revisiting it so uh, I, I i remember watching it back in the day and i was a big fan and still am of that album anyway of uh, uh, the band Extreme mm-hmm. and their music features in um, in the movie. Um, you know the opening credits uh, to Full Contact has the, that uh, song "Get the Funk Out" yeah. playing uh, over the striptease or what have you. So I was like, "Cool, something I like in a Hong Kong movie." Like the world is all right. <laughs> it's looking down at me in a favorable way. <laughs> Ringo Lamb's always been. Um... He, he always uses music to a good effect, even sometimes where it gets a little silly, like uh, with some of the music in uh, City on Fire. But I like the uh, the overweight uh, lady who's singing, going like, what a waste. Uh, that's, that's a fun one. 
That's the uh, that's the amazing Maria Cordero, a wonderful set of pipes on that lady, oh, and and, yeah. an, and an actress too, so she's quite a good actress. Oh yeah, very soulful. And that's the thing; it's like I never get bored watching it. It's a perfect little ninety minutes. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Okay, well, I guess for a director who's not as prestigious as John Woo or Ringo Lam, um, unfortunately, he hasn't come to America to make a movie with Van Damme yet. What's up with that? But um. We're wonder gonna... if he was even invited who knows <laughs> they probably got one look at some of his uh stuff of god of gamblers the return like oh he kills a baby in the opening of that movie nope no don't nope. Let him here no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh um... yep. it's true listeners that's that, no, not not this director but that's the content of the movie boom boom Dr- dramatic then... conflict there's the baby <laughs> there's the baby you, he's ultimate evil already but we're gonna talk about wanjing um so He's the other famous one. I remember there was a um, a Hong Kong cinema book that came out here in the States, and it was comparing Wan Jing to Wong Kai Wai. Uh, that's pretty stupid. That is a weird... To, to be honest, sense. because Wong Kai Wai, which I'm not a great fan of because I don't really like art movies as such, I'm not too smart to like them, I, okay. I should preface, but I'm not a fan of like Chunking Express or what have you. Love Ashes of Time, mind you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, All the but leaves they... are brown. Uh, well... <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know that, that that's that's a bad comparison to be honest. But Wong Jing has done he's done a lot of movies and done some wonders for the for the industry. Like a really good commercial director, and there's a tons of fantastic commercial movies where you know action elements and comedic elements are on point. Very much so. He's worked with everyone and just made the careers of a couple of people. And he, he's a marvelous director when on point comedically, and sometimes when he does dramatic work i mean uh, casino raiders is a movie that gets lost in the whole gambling craze but if, uh, if you go back to casino raiders there's actually a quite a good dramatic movie there with uh, again i'm hopping on on this but with underplayed scenes and hong kong cinema and underplaying is you know as rare as a unicorn really like they, they <laughs> like their melodrama they really do oh yeah um, so he's done wonders i mean but but also you know, depending on the movie, it's really tiring. His shtick gets tiring. The gags go on repeat, and sometimes movies are not successful. Anyway, the formula doesn't work each and every time. But it happens, Tyler, with someone who has a great volume on oh, his yeah. or her filmography that not everything is going to be a masterpiece. John Woo has made some turds. You oh, know, yeah. uh, Ringo Lam has not made a lot. Like some movies are like, whoa, what were you thinking, my friend? <laughs> Uh, so, so it happens with Wong Jing, and I enjoy, you know, in particular the 80s and 90s period. You know, Wong Jing nowadays, I mean, he's still working, but you know, he's playing, you know, to a mixed market, meaning that he's playing to China uh, and not just Hong Kong as it was back in the day, because that's sort of the playing field we're at now, making movies for China. That's where the commercialism is. And I, I don't know, man, it's... Uh, it's not as fun for me anymore. I no. saw the first From Vegas to Macau movie, and I could sort of forgive, maybe forgive is the wrong word, but I can get on with the fact that they can't depict these people as criminals as such. I can get on board with that. Like, you can be creative with that. You know, they're more Robin Hoods than criminals and gangsters mm-hmm. and gamblers and what have you. And also, you can't depict gambling in these movies. Like, okay, you can be creative with that. But Wong Jing is, uh, is going on repeat. And I know this for a fact with From Vegas to Macau because the gag I like the most, it's a very elaborate gag for the finale. Uh, I, I won't spoil it because it kind of is funny. But someone informed me, uh, 
he did that gag already. Huh? Okay. And I mean, it's not a gag where like, it's a one line thing and da 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 then that's the gag. <laughs> no, it's a big sort of set piece. Yeah. And someone said, oh, you done that in one of the uh, Con Man movies. I was like, really, Wong Jing, really? Oh, so You're killing me here. Are you really not able to conjure up something else that doesn't straight on? Like, why don't you just go back and copy everything? There? Like, copy a garage shootout from God of Gamblers if you're in that mm-hmm. mood uh, and to see if the new audiences buy that. But I think that's uh, really um, a crappy thing to do. But I do enjoy his, some of his producing skills still. There's a very funny movie he produced called Flirting in the Air, yes. which um, he didn't direct that. Uh, but the, the tone of that was good. Like, it was very funny. He, the spoof, uh, the spoofing of an old uh, Stephen Chow movie, Flirting Scholar, was very funny. And it's sort of, I knew that he had it in him, but, and he didn't go and repeat. Uh, that's the key of it all. So, mm-hmm. you know, love him absolutely. And it's comfort fodder, some of the 80s and 90s movies, uh, whether kung fu action, comedy, or, and the stupidity within those movies and the broad nature of them. It's <laughs> just so goofy and fun, man. But it's, uh, it, it wears thin after a while. And his uh, focus now is not something that necessarily appeal to yeah. me. But, um, and he's also said some crappy things. Uh, in terms of he's revealed his politics and his sort of opinions and that oh, has no. hurt his uh, Hong Kong rep a little bit I think the latest From Vegas to Macau movie did not do very well in Hong Kong even less than expected because he was a bit too outspoken about things politically and putting down Hong Kong if I remember matters correctly yeah. and Hong Kong people and that's that's not going to create good ripples No, uh, well at least he didn't really pull a uh... I guess he sounds like he's pulling a Steven, I mean, not Steven Spielberg, a Clint Eastwood, you know, doing all his right-wing uh, politics. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he has a voice, you know, he, he has a voice, and I mean, uh, good on him for being, uh, you know, honest, I guess, but um, it, um, I don't have a quote right now, but it, you know, in my opinion, it wasn't, um, it wasn't in good taste, necessarily, yeah. and uh, yeah, so, uh, but uh, yeah, still, still. Tons of movies to enjoy on his filmography, whether in producing capacity, directing mm-hmm. capacity, and even acting capacity. He's done some fun uh, main roles in his own movies as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I will always remember him as one of the patrons in the uh, the brothel or the bardello and God of Gamblers. Yep, where he just pop, he opens the door hole in the towel around his waist. <laughs> Like, As uh, Paul said, who I did a podcast with, they probably shot that during, uh, you know, we were funny about it, but they, they probably shot that while Wong Jing was uh, visiting that uh, brothel anyway. <laughs> so I'm here. Let's shoot some funny stuff, man. And there is actually some funny stuff in that scene. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, China's making the, the balloons with the. I, I don't want to spoil that whole movie, but he's making the, the, the condom balloons. It's just hilarious. And I showed that to some relatives, the, the movie, and they were like, oh, wow, this is going to be a drama, like a John Woo movie. Nope. Well, no, not really. <laughs> it's going to be everything you've ever asked for in a movie. <laughs> yes, this is the perfect crowd-pleasing movie. They will see yep. stuff they didn't even know they wanted. Well, moving on to a similar crowd-pleasing director, this um, Troy Hark is a very, I don't know, he's a very complex guy because he kind of wants to remake a lot of his own movies. He's a very yeah. powerful producer, and then he's kind of sporadic as a director with, with style. But I will say that, you know, Zoo Warriors and Magic Mountain did kind of change everything for a while, especially with the, you know, the crazy wire-foo uh, wuxia movies. 
you you have to realize that Chohak led the way in so many ways. Mm-hmm. He was a trendsetter for with Sue, as you said, it's very wire wire assisted, but it's also very special effects uh, tinted. I mean, they had uh, mm-hmm. people from Star Wars working working on that movie for heaven's sake, and it's so he is set in motion so many things, and you know he produced a better tomorrow. And one or two. So as a producer, he sets sets things in motion like these genre trends. And obviously, with Once Upon a Time in China, he he always had that vision. I think, and uh, I absolutely adore that about him. I mean, again, not every movie is a great movie or anything, but uh, I it's a surprisingly solid filmography, directing wise. Uh, and I, I love directors that also go from like hundred to zero in terms of moods. Uh, yeah. Because uh, Choi Hak was very angry at one point in his uh, directing career. Uh, uh, Dangerous Encounter, first kind, aka Don't Play with Fire. It's one of the most angry, angriest movies you've ever seen coming out of Hong Kong. And then, like a movie or two later, he does a goofy um, George Lamb movie called All the Wrong Clues. Yeah. And 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 then you know Sue was uh, followed close. Uh, it was uh, close after too. So. Uh, and he's a wonderful director. Again, not seen a lot of his stuff from the last few years. Uh, saw the first De- Detective D movie, which I quite enjoyed. Oh, it was yeah. um, I thought it was going to be more complex because it looked like a period epic, but it was a murder mystery, as a matter of fact. So, okay, I'm cool. I'm cool with it. I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. It's big and widescreen, but I get it. Um, but, um, you know, stuff like All About Women, I couldn't really comprehend what was going on there. And um, and uh, Taking of Tiger Mountain, I lasted about 30, 40 minutes. And I realize I'm 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 not the audience for this 3D CG blood shenanigans. Nope, nope, not doing this. <laughs> flying I've heard it's uh, good, but uh, tigers in the air getting shot yeah. at. <laughs> they can... but, but 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 you know, Tyler, that's me. Like essentially, I, I'm not allowed to have an opinion on that movie. I never finished it. I'm just yeah. sort of stating that that's why I couldn't finish it because it that stuff doesn't appeal to me. That 3D style where everything goes 360 and the blood oh, is CG yeah. and stuff. Because he was, maybe that was the fun of it. I don't know that it's 3D, but within that setting, a very rural, like bleak setting with the snow and the war. And this is 3D. Like I couldn't really like get on with that. Yeah. That, but yeah, I guess it's quirky in a way. But I just couldn't. There's plenty of other choices to put 3D, connect 3D too. You know what I mean? Like commercial choices. Having said that, this movie was a major hit in China. We're talking, you know, stratos out of the stratosphere, atmosphere, whatever oh, yeah. hit in China. So, you know, I guess it's uh, I have no understanding of these things, but I, I know I just couldn't like no, no, I'm not not no, 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 yeah. off, off, off. I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no more of the flying tiger yeah. nonsense. Um, well, I mean, you, at least you made it through the wraparound story. I think that's the weakest element of the film. Where there, yeah, yeah, it opened in modern times, didn't it? Yeah, the 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 Chinese American who needs to go to the homeland to figure out what why he's so important. Um, it's it's kind of silly. It reminded me of the never ending story. Um, there, wow, there, there, oh, what, what a comparison! Like now, I'm intrigued. <laughs> what, is, what is this? I I did a similar thing for the new Batman uh, Superman movie where someone asked me, and they're like, "Well." What did you think of it? I'm like, well, it reminds me of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. It's an unnecessary sequel full of lots of hate and lots of bleak imagery. But yet mm-hmm. it's so wrong-headed, it becomes enduring, which is a weird recommendation. But it's very fascinating. And I think that's why I enjoy those two movies. 
it's just a and that's very cool as well uh, because i i'm not here to sort of uh, in case someone thought that then even if you didn't i'll say it anyway uh, the, the thing with opinions is uh, their only opinions obviously yeah and i'm never i'll i'm never and i'll never do a show where anyone's opinion is put down yeah because as long as everybody respects each other's opinions, then you can have a nice discussion about the opinion, opinions that differ, yes. right? Because I hate when I'm being preached to. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody should be welcome to share their voice and feel like they have a voice. Us podcasters are not better than anyone. No, no. It, just because we, you know, hit record and put it on the internet and hear our voice, listen to us. No, 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 not at all. So... Like, never take, and essentially, Tyler, no one should take my opinion seriously. No one should, should take your opinion seriously because you are not right and I'm not right either. Yeah. You know what We're I mean? Just because other uh, members of the audience, you know. Exactly. So, um, it's, uh, so don't be influenced by anything we do here, but uh, thank you for the interest nonetheless. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is one uh, Troy Hark movie that I'm interested in, and I still haven't seen it despite my love of the franchise. And, naming this this podcast on a joke that's in the second movie but um i still haven't seen better tomorrow three that he made and uh, i know there's two different cuts there's the 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 hong kong version and the thai taiwan version is that right yeah yeah it's a longer extended version uh, probably screened in taiwan first and they um sort of took uh, impressions from mm-hmm. audiences uh, in Taiwan and then shaped it to the Hong Kong theatrical cut. It sort of worked that way for a while in for a few movies uh, back in the day. Like The Killer is the same. They screened it in Taiwan first, made some adjustments, and then finalized the Hong Kong cut. So okay. is, like, like the Hong Kong cuts are usually like the final ones, like the director okay. approved. Okay, so like I don't need to see the Taiwan cut necessarily other than out of my own interest. Exactly, exactly. And I, I really enjoy A Better Tomorrow Free. It's, uh, it doesn't need to be A Better Tomorrow Free. It's a prequel. But I enjoy it nonetheless. It has a different vibe to it in terms of action. And it has a rousing nature to it, a very epic nature to it. I love the score and I love Chayafat and Anita Moy together. Oh. So it's a, a really stylish movie. I mean, she looks fantastic in she that movie. She looks great in that movie. And I'm, I'm becoming a bigger fan of her every day, especially with... Uh, like Justice My Foot, and then I remember she's in yeah. Drunken Master 2. Wonderful comedian. She was so damn funny, man, but she could do anything. I mean, she's unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, like like we lost her and Leslie Jung in the same year, 2004, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, she she, uh, she was sick, uh, cancer. Yeah. So, and, and Leslie Chung, unfortunately, uh, committed suicide. So it was like, and I think that was the year of SARS as well. So Hong Kong just... It wasn't a good year, I think, for um, for, for Hong Kong. There were many types of losses, even though SARS is more important than entertainment. But Anita Moy and Leslie meant a lot to people, and, and rightly yeah. so, because they were they were superstars and they could do anything, man. They could do anything. Oh, yeah. And and that's the thing with, especially with Anita Moy, is, you know, she's she's always been a, an actress that I've known, but especially recently re-watching so many movies that just happened to have her star in them. And then hearing yep. some of her music... Um, because she did a, um, I do not know the name of the track, but she did a song for the heroic trio, mm-hmm. and she's a great singer too. And I have a bunch of yeah. her songs on uh, on my uh, YouTube uh, list. Uh, one day I might track down a CD, but that's a little too much. But uh. <laughs> wonderfully uh, deep voice, uh, deep singing voice. It stood out. But uh, yep, her uh, it's very distinctive and um, a very rousing song from heroic trio. I remember it fit 
the mood of that movie to sort of go out go out on uh, I don't know if it's post uh, it's a credit song or not I don't remember that now but it, it sort of it kicked ass when it uh, when it did arrive in the movie it elevated mood surely for for a very fun movie uh, even without that song so uh, yeah mm-hmm. and and what a bizarre movie that is oh you know what that's a Johnny Toe movie I lied I've actually seen more of his movies yep. than I thought yeah um, oh and he did Justice My Foot too didn't he yes indeed. Oh wow! Okay, it's been so around, got... man. He's uh, he's done very silly giant fat movies as well uh, back in the day before oh. he became the Johnny Toe that people know internationally, making these PTU style movies. Before he did some uh, some crazy fun stuff. So it's been around since uh, 1980 was his first movie. So yeah. Okay. Oh, Good so fun. he really has been around. I think um, it's one of his best movies. His very first movie, uh, Johnny Toe, the Enigmatic Case. On the surface, a martial arts movie. Mm-hmm. But if I remember correctly, a very quiet, maybe even introspective martial arts movie. It uh, felt yeah. different in tone and quite accomplished for a debut movie. So um, oh, yeah. good luck trying to track that down. I think oh, it's yeah. a long That was what I was going to ask is what's the availability? Because luckily, um, I mean, I own a DVD. I own the, um, oh, the, the Taisei, I think, the... Uh, the DVD of Heroic Trio, and then a lot of the Stephen Chow comedies are in the U.S. Um, Netflix. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I could see, you know, Out of the Dark and King of Comedy, which that that's a gorgeous movie too. Mm. Um, and talk about parodying John Woo. Um, <laughs> one of the best parodies ever of uh, a John Woo action scene. <laughs> oh yeah, and then of course having uh, and having Jackie Chan pop up is just brilliant. But yeah. um, they bring in a they bring in a proper extra. That's the gag. <laughs> I love that. Like get Steven out, get Jack in, and he can die convincingly in that classic Hong Kong cinema way where they where they uh, no. oh. um, yeah. Or you know, at least it's not like the Italian movies where they do the death dance where they get shot and they're flailing their arms around and mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, oh, the Keenan Comet, That's a that's another excellent movie. Where where is our special edition uh, Dragon Dynasty DVD of that um, with commentary? Yeah, I mean it's their it's their movie. If you watch it on Netflix, it's their logo and the stuff is on it. But it's one of those that they just never realized there would be a, like a, a disc for because there would be barely any sales so thankfully they put it up on netflix instead you know in, oh, yeah. uh, the yeah. better version that that ever came out of uh, compared to what came out of hong kong so mm-hmm. that's the next best next best solution in my opinion to have it right there f- oh, yeah. fully remastered and uh, properly subtitled and all of that so So I'll put, I'll put a pin in it right there and give you uh, the next half of this uh, very, very fun and uh, in a way very inspirational chat because I like anyone who um, takes this uh, sort of, you know, hobby very seriously and Tyler certainly did and came really prepped and it was an honor to be asked because he he, he was really interested and allowed me to express what sometimes i internalize because i don't talk a lot about my process with someone but in general you know you, it doesn't need to be more complex than this it's just fun to talk creativity and work and uh, movies with someone and tyler certainly made me feel comfortable and that's going to be true for the chat next week as well so i hope you enjoyed hope you enjoy next week and uh, as for the contact information again for all your podcast and fire network needs 
go to podcastonfire.com, click the various buttons to our social media and the relevant links, including to Tyler's podcast, Trapped in the Screening Room, will be available in the show post. So, hope you enjoyed. Thank you very, very much for your support and we'll see you next episode. I'm Kenny B and bye-bye.